0: Well, this morning, we are uh, looking in 2 Peter, the 2nd epistle of Peter and chapter 3. And really, our text this morning is the entire chapter. But no, I'm not going to cover the whole chapter, but um, it's a backdrop. But chapter 3 and the first 13 verses. And because from verses 14 on until the end, Peter reiterates. And he repeats some of the things he's already mentioned earlier on. Um, And so we'll focus on the first 13 verses and if I would entitle the message this morning, it's, it's simply, Jesus is coming. Amen. Amen. All right, me and Judy are going to heaven, and we are ready. Praise God. Uh, listen, and I'm being serious, the, the, that, that statement to the believer should be something that, that stirs us and causes something to, to that there's an urging and an urgency, and there's something that's turning and churning inside of us so that we are preparing ourselves for the arrival of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it was a mark of the first church. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul outlines the report of those believers that he had worked with in the church that he planted there and he's and he's talking about how their faith has spread and it's been known. And one of the things that he highlights is that it's also known how they are, not only have they believed on the word unto salvation, but now they wait for the return of Christ. There is an anticipation. They're excited. They're waiting. In in light of all that was going on around them, and it wasn't easy in their time, just like it's not in ours, but they were waiting. They were anticipating. It was a mark of the true church. We are waiting. We want Jesus to come. And I was going to reserve it till the end, but I'll say it now. If you are walking around and you're saying, as some people have said in the past, and they're quoting the, you know, the word in the scripture, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. If you're quoting that and you're wanting Jesus to come because you are, you're, you're entering into an escapist mode, you've got to check your heart. You've got to check your attitude. I know there's something inside of us that pulls and you want to escape. That is not what God has called you to. That is not a godly perspective or attitude to have to just have this escapist mentality because we do that with so many things as it is and it pulls us out of reality and how things are, whether it's, I'm not picking on things, but some people do that when they game for hours. They escape reality. Some people turn to substances and, you know, they'll light up and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll chill out for a while, but they escape. That is not, I want to be clear, that is not god 's plan for your life if you 're a Christian. we are to engage, not escape. if we want to escape, then we are not going to fulfill the mission and the purpose that God has for us while we are here as his children. I think I made my point clear, but that 's jesus is coming he 's coming, and we should be excited about that. you know today, as you know, there is so much maybe you're not you 've encountered people or even had conversations on your own with other people and there's talk about the end of the world or where is this all going? How does it all end? And Christians are talking about and they're revisiting Revelation and, and they're trying to relearn and, and, and to rediscover the time frame and how things will unfold in the last days. And that's, that's good. That's, we should constantly be you know, reaffirming that and just refreshing our memories and our hearts with what that looks like and preparing ourselves. Certainly, as you know, there are many events and issues that spark this topic of conversation today. Many. I could spend the next half hour doing that. I won't do that, of course. That's not what I'm here for. But I will give you a few. And my intent is not to mention these so that you dwell on them, but just to make the point that you know how distracting and how they can suck us in, and understandably, but there is so much going on that causes us to wonder what the future looks like. The pandemic. The pandemic globalization, and everything going on in our world, and how things are coming together, and all the conversations, and all the, even subliminally, but very, things that are just right out there in the open, and people are noticing, and especially Christians are aware, and and we're we're feeling this groaning inside of us, and we're uh, grieving, but we're, we know the end is coming, and we're anticipating it, and and we're, we're just, we know it's there, and so we think about it. How about the financial pressures and the stresses on just globally, but even our nation, as it all appears so good, because, well, we just we prop up what's really not there. Sorry for the commentary, but it's the truth. And we, we shouldn't hide from that. And then the, the very real possibility that will one day happen, and it's not to scare you or be negative, but of this just economic collapse. Brothers and sisters, it's coming, but can I tell you what? Is coming that's even better? Jesus is coming. It's because Jesus is coming. That's why these things are happening. And we, how about, how about, can I just be honest? And I mean, I hope I. I feel comfortable enough, right? How about just the political, and it doesn't matter. It's not about sides and ideology. Don't go there. Be careful. But the political irresponsibility and the polarization that happens, and unfortunately the enemy has used it as a distraction, and it's seeped into the church and in families. I see it, I hear it, and it breaks my heart. You think God's heart isn't broken? He's wanting us to anticipate his return in the midst of all this. Not to mention, I'll just mention one more thing, the civil unrest and how that looks and what's behind it and how it's happening and we're wondering and we're confused and we're trying to, listen, this is all reminding us that Jesus is coming. He's coming. (laughs) And so with this uncertainty, more than ever before, As Christians, we ought to live in anticipation of Christ's return, because Jesus is coming. He's coming. And Peter tells us in our text of how we should live with that anticipation. So let's read, and then we'll break them down, hopefully quickly. Amen? Chapter 3, verse 1. Peter writes, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. He mentioned that when he starts the letter off, how he's writing to remind them. That was something he did. And you see that through scripture, repetition, reminding. Why? Because we forget so easily. But you already said that, and you're so repetitious. Yeah, but you're not getting it. You pretend you are, and you're getting annoyed with me because I repeat things, but that's how you're supposed to remember things. We do that with children. We do that, the rote thing. There's a process there. God isn't foreign to that concept, and he uses that method of getting his point across throughout scripture repetition and rhetoric over he does it all the time right so why he says so that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the lord and savior spoken by your apostles number verse three know this first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts and saying where is the promise of his coming For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth are by His word being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men in verse 7. Now, I want to pause here. Please, I'm not, this is not, a, I'm not being negative, but we, we, we got to live in the truth and we have to say it the way it is. This is not about negativity, but about absolutely what will happen. Listen, it's so easy to get caught up, and I'll reference this without being specific at the end of the sermon, but it's so easy to get caught up and distracted with things that... And listen, you can, you can care about this planet. You can care about this world. You can care about taking care of it. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to, to it. But I, can I tell you something? That is not the purpose for which God put you on this earth. And I'll tell you why. This earth will not be here forever. I mean, I, that's God's word. And I will read it again two more times. In this text alone, three times he repeats that. It will not be here forever. Does that mean we're irresponsible and we don't take care of our planet? No, please. I am not saying that. I've never said that. And you know that if you go to my Sunday school classes. We have a responsibility, but we are not here for that purpose exclusively. And be careful. It will be destroyed. I'm not being negative. It's the truth. And that's why we anticipate the Lord's return. Another reason. All right? Just to be clear. Verse 8, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, Beloved, that with the Lord one day, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Verse 10 through verse 13 now. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with the roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. There's that repetition again of what he just said. Since all these things are to be destroyed, he goes again in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. I'm not saying it, Peter just said it like three or four times in this text. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's God's word, not my word. Peter tells us how to live in anticipation first. He reminds us in the first two verses that the believers, if we anticipate Christ's return, we should remember Scripture. Remember Scripture. Now, I can't think of anything more important fundamental and foundational to the Christian life and living for Jesus than knowing his word. Stay there, start there. You can read other stuff, whatever. Stay there, start there, stay there, start there. It keeps over. Don't neglect it. He's reminding them, don't forget, remember the holy prophets and the words and the commands of our Lord through the apostles. Remember scripture. Peter has written his second epistle to the persecuted believers as a reminder. And of of all that they knew about prophecy, because they knew, of all the teachings of Jesus and about their salvation and what they were taught... About again, about what happened historically, what it all meant, and God's salvation plan, and how he was coming back one day again. Why did he remind them? So that their minds could be engaged. So that they would be, their mind would be actively involved in thinking. And it would affect how they lived their lives. So they would absolutely anticipate every day that Jesus could come right now. Listen, in the Old Testament, the prophets continually predicted God's end-time judgment and the establishment of His kingdom on earth. They never prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus is going to come and He's going to establish His church. They never did that. They always talked about His kingdom, His coming kingdom coming in the end, and that there's judgment associated with that. Why? Because God's mean and cruel and ugly? No, because God is just. And in with His justice, it, before He... he, he Exercises his justice, he's very patient. We'll address that in a moment as well. But listen, the prophets talked about this all the time. The New Testament, Jesus himself, is filled with references. He talked about it of his second return and the Lord's return. 23 of the 27 New Testament books reference the Lord's return directly. 23 or 27. And of the four that are remaining, two of them in Galatians chapter 5 and in 2nd John verse 8. They reference or they they infer and they talk about the second coming of Christ. They imply that very clearly and reference the second coming of Jesus. Why is it so important as we anticipate the Lord's return to remember scripture? Well, one and obvious is because the scriptures, well, they're obvious to us or should be obvious. Let me clarify. That as Christians, we believe and we know they are actually God's word. They are God's words. Earlier in chapter 1 of the same epistle, Peter writes in verse 20 and 21, this is what he says. He says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. Didn't originate with man. He said, no. Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. They are God's word. Psalm 119, not only is it God's word itself, but it's true. God's word is true. Psalm 119 and verse one sixteen. the psalmist says, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. They are truth truth. They will never fade away. They will never go away. No matter how hard you try to brush it away, ignore it, blow it off, they are true. They will always be true and they last. Thirdly, it's important to remember for us and even for the believers there, but for us today as we anticipate Jesus' return, it's so that we won't be deceived by false teachers. Chapter two is all about the false teachers. All about it and what they look like and what they're after. And the reason we should remember scripture is so that we don't get deceived and pulled away and distracted by false teachers. And naturally, if we believe God's word is true, and if we believe that they are actually his words in scripture, we know that God always does what he says. He always comes through on his word. He did it when he he, he revealed through the prophets that there would be a Savior named Jesus, the Messiah would come. All those prophecies that were fulfilled, not to mention many others. The prophecies about his own people and all that they would go through and their their suffering, their well, the judgment they received because of their obedience, but also their redemption. That all came true and it will come true still with his people, Israel. God's word will come true, he always does what he says. If you're anticipating the Lord's return, the way you do that is you remember his word. Secondly, believers, as they anticipate his return also, Peter states that believers should prepare by recognizing those who scoff at this idea that Jesus is coming back. Recognize and be aware of those people who are scoffing and mocking this concept that Jesus is coming back. Peter says in verse 3, as a matter of first importance or a high on the priority list, this is really important. Listen to me. There are people in the last days who will come and they will mock this. They will ridicule. They will insult this message. They will insult the messengers and those who proclaim this, that Jesus is coming again. They will joke about it. They will ridicule. They will, they will put you down and make you feel like you're nothing. listen, These scoffers are easily detected and recognized when you do the first thing in anticipation of Christ's return. Remember that? Remembering God's word. Why? You will detect them because you remember what the Bible says about such people and you will notice two things about those scoffers that say it's a bunch of baloney that Jesus is coming back because you'll know their attitude and what is their attitude? Peter tells us that they mock. They say, wait a minute. Where is this promise? Where is this what? Jesus isn't coming. Don't you realize that for all these centuries the millennia, there's nothing, all this stuff has gone up. We've gone through pandemics. We've gone through wars. We've had political and social upheavals and unrest. We've had all kinds of stuff going on. And we've always pulled through. And there's no Jesus. What are you talking about? It's just all the same. It's cyclical. It'll all be good. We'll get there. Oh, Really? Is that why, is that how we've evolved now, so to speak, as people say? Actually, I've heard a lot of talk about how we're devolving into certain things, and we see it happening in our, that word has been used even by media, that there's, it's, it's out of control, the comments, the attitudes, what, what is happening? It's why, because, well, it's full of people who are scoffing and mocking this idea that Jesus is coming back and they're living life on their own terms in godless, lawless ways. Why do they mock? Because they want their evil desires to be satisfied and they want to continue in that. Now, everything Peter has written, it's probably a reference to the false teachers in chapter two, that they're mocking and, 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 and scoffing at this. But it's larger context, it's anybody who's mocking and scoffing at this, whether they knew about this, have been taught about it, and are aware and choose to intentionally ignore this, or they're just ignorant and they're saying, that's crazy thinking, that's crazy thought. Christ's return to those who mock, especially these false teachers who are after their own personal gain, it means divine retribution. I said it. It sounds so scary and so negative, but it's true. Divine retribution. So the false teachers, those who mock, they don't want their life of pleasure to end. Oh Jesus, I want you to come, but just wait because I'm kind of enjoying life because yeah, you know, I'm a Christian and, and, and I, know I, can, I know I can drink, but I, I drink once in a while too much. I like feeling a little buzzed every so often, like every weekend. That's not how you prepare, prepare for Christ's return you're still Christ, you're still Christ's child, but that's not how you anticipate and prepare for Christ's to return, you don't do that, I, I use that as an example, it's fine, I call it out, I don't care, there's other things too, you can name them, there's a lot of things and, and, and that we can, th- can think of, but if anything is causing us to not be anticipating his return, and we want to continue in our life of satisfying our flesh, we might not even be scoffers, but we just might be enjoying life here on earth a little too much and we're not anticipating Christ's return. See, believers embrace with awe and a healthy fear. And, and listen, with no context to compare to this event of Jesus' return, the fact of his return, because we know we'll be rewarded for our faith in Jesus and for living for him. So they, their argument, they had this attitude, he's not going to come, it hasn't happened. But what's the argument? They say that everything is always as it's been this mocking attitude is because nothing has changed. And just to throw that out, you can look it up on your own. They hold to this view that's called uniformitarianism. Uniformitarianism, which basically says, oh, God created, but has not intervened in the world. He makes it a closed, naturalistic system of cause and effect. And in the end, this view is very convenient and comforting if you're living this way, because you you know that, There is no consequence for your behavior outside of natural effects, which are the results, from the causes which are your decisions to satisfy your flesh. I don't want that. So I don't really, you know, Jesus, take your time. (laughs) And they don't care. They blow it off. Listen, be careful. Recognize the scoffers and the mockers. And if you're in the word, you will recognize their attitude and their argument. Thirdly, Peter says, don't just recognize the mockers, but be ready to refute them because you can do that very easily biblically and just with everything that's happened in actually in history itself. That's the first thing. Refute them with history itself. Do you remember creation? God created as Christians, we believe, those who hold to the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we believe that God created everything in this natural world by speaking it with his word. There was nothing, and he spoke it. Now, he's talking about remembering the word of God, not just prophecies, but the totality of scripture, God's word, which is his word. God formed everything by his word. Creation, it was there out of nothing, the Bible tells us. And everything we see, at the command of his voice, they came into being. Now, I, well, it, I guess we can say we can do that. Because as a parent, I can make certain things happen with the command of my voice. And it involves retribution. Uh, I mean, you know what I mean. Kind of what Jesus is talking about here through Peter. When I say something, and my patience has a limit, just like God's does. There will come a point in time where I say that this will happen because of this cause and effect. And I'm, I'm the authority. Right, Preston and Cohen? Then there comes a time where there is judgment. There is there comes a time. And it's the same with God. Don't be fooled by that. At the command of his voice, his voice they came into being. At the command of his voice, when God said that there would be a flood, not and you have creation in history, but you have the flood in history as well. Do you remember Noah? God warned and he shared his plans of safety and salvation from the coming flood. And it happened. It happened. God wasn't kidding. God wasn't joking. He wasn't messing around. When he said it, he did it. And history will repeat itself is what Peter is saying here. In fact, he talks about Noah earlier. And he references Noah in his epistle. God did it in the past and he, about his, he warned about his judgment and the salvation that comes if you do what he says and how everything will end up in the end. And he is warning here again, God's word is true. Listen, history indicates that God is true to his word. Secondly, you have to remember that when you refute the scoffers, remind them that God's time perspective is not the same as your time perspective. We read it already. For the day of the, for the Lord, a thousand years is a day, a day is a thousand years. Psalm 90 verse 4 says, For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. Other translations say the night watch like this. It's different. Your idea of time and how fast it should progress or when it should happen is completely different than God's. God knows He has a plan. He's going to do it. And Jesus will, in fact, return at the exact moment determined by God in past eternity. The Scriptures teach us that. In fact, in Galatians 4.4, Paul uses... a word there that tells us that at a specific appointed time, Jesus came, he said, at the right time, God sent his son. At the right time, at the moment. Maybe they were waiting and groaning, where's our Savior? Where's the Messiah? Where's our Redeemer? But at the right time, God sent his son. And at the right time, God will send his son a second time to take up his church and then eventually establish his kingdom on this earth. He will be here a second time. Remind the scoffers and refute them not just with the God's time perspective being different than ours, but that God's character is absolutely incredibly gracious. He is full of grace. How do I know that? Because Peter says that God is patient and why is he patient? Because he's gracious and he's gracious because he's patient and he wants people to come to know him so that they could anticipate his return to be with him as well. God's patient, and He's waiting, and He's been waiting, and in fact, the Bible says that there's going to come that point in time when the gospel goes forth, when there's this gospel, and the second return associated with it, it's part of the gospel. Why do we even preach the gospel? Because Jesus is coming, and we preach that, and and, and when the gospel goes forth to the ends of the earth, and everybody has heard that God knows has to hear, and in His time, all ears have heard, He says, the end will come. The end will come, And so we've got a job to do, right? But we remind people of God's character. God's patient. Just because He hasn't come back, He's waiting on you. He loves you. He's waiting on you. That's why He's not back yet. God has a huge capacity to store up His anger before it spills over. Uh, Probably a lot more than we do, right? And thank you, God, for that. He is longing for sinners to repent. And lastly, you know what? Tell the scoffers and those who mock this idea of His return, that it's going to come quickly, just very quick, without spending a lot of time on it. I am always amazed, I don't know about you, but to the, I'm amazed how everybody in Noah's day was caught off guard, how it happened so suddenly, and only eight were saved. I, I'm, I don't understand that where for decades Noah is building the ark and Peter actually mentions in his epistle that he was a preacher of righteousness he's building this ark and he's preaching he's telling others listen this is what's coming this is what's going to happen that's why I'm building this God told me get ready yeah whatever what are you talking about there hasn't been rain you're crazy you're a loony old man you're hearing voices you're crazy no way they mocked they insulted they ridiculed and then suddenly it came upon them like this right and peter says here he'll come back like a thief surprise you when you least expect it and boom it's over and he's here so god's patient but don't forget he'll come suddenly so are you ready will you anticipate will you be ready I can't, I just can't, it blows my mind. So listen, be ready, be alert. Jesus is coming back. The prophets foretold and Jesus foretold and this material world will be consumed and he'll take over and set up his kingdom. I want to anticipate his return. So I'm with him and on his side. God wants you to be on his side too. Lastly and quickly, Peter gives us the requirements of true anticipation with us what does he require of us what does God require of us first of all in verses 10 to 13 verse 11 to 13 actually God wants us to have an eternal perspective looking for the day we are so caught up in looking around here and looking the next month and and we should we plan we should be reasonable and use common sense but always have your sights set on eternity always have your sights set on eternity And when you do that, you will be anticipating, you'll be excited, as as disheartening and as discouraging as things can get and as tough as life is, and it's tough for everybody. But we will anticipate and we have a perspective that is godly, which is eternal. Listen, this is all going to go away. Everything temporal you see, I just remind you what the Bible teaches and what Jesus himself says. It's all going away. Are you saying, bummer? maybe you are why are you saying bummer maybe you're enjoying it too much and you're not thinking about what's out there doesn't mean you can't enjoy it doesn't mean God hasn't given you things but you're enjoying it too much just check your heart just check it out make sure that you're anticipating in this way with an eternal perspective look forward to the day of God for the new heaven and the new earth and listen speed it's coming Speed up, urge on God's coming by, by preaching and praying and being a Noah and letting others know that it's coming. It might not seem it. Let me, let me give you the refutations for all your argument and your attitude about saying that'll never happen. Preach the gospel. Tell it like it is. Don't be ashamed. We heard about that just a couple weeks ago with Pastor Dan last week. Don't be ashamed. You have nothing to be ashamed. You know why? Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is coming. No ifs, ands, or buts. Secondly, how Do you maintain that eternal perspective and how do you prove that? By being holy and godly, Peter says in verse 11, he actually says it in verse 14 as well. Holiness relates to your actions and your behavior. Nobody wants to talk about holiness anymore. It's like a dirty word. And as soon as you say holiness to other Christians nowadays, you are labeled a legalist. Stop it. I know you're watching on live stream. Listen, I don't care where you are. Stop it. God is holy Peter says, that, and he goes back to the Old Testament, that God is holy and you ought to be holy just as he is. You are set apart. You don't do things like the world does and others do without Christ. You don't think like them. You have an eternal perspective. You're waiting for Christ's return. You know it's true. You remember his word. He will fulfill it. He'll do it. Jesus is coming. You live in holiness. Don't play games with God who is Holy. No, you don't determine what that looks like, but here he already has. Are you living in holiness? And if you say that you are, you know what? And if you say that you're godly, which by the way means that you are reverent and you have an attitude of worship and complete understanding and submission and awe of who he is and you realize that. If you are godly, but you have no holiness, it's impossible. Because then you're nothing more than what the epistles say, that, that you should flee from those people who have a form of godliness, but there's no power there. Because there's no holiness. They don't live it out. They say it. They have a form. It looks like the part, but they don't do it. They're inconsistent in all they do. They cry foul here, but they don't cry foul there with that sin or that offense in God's eyes. You don't pick and choose. God is holy. Be holy and be godly. Jesus is coming. So how do we maintain this? Before we walk out this door, how do we maintain this? diligently you need to be aware you need to keep going be diligent to in your anticipation and make sure you're doing all these things peter says be alert with all that is going on around you don't be distracted boy i want to go on a tangent but i'm not because time is fleeing don't be distracted by all that is going on around you i have seen in the past couple months and month in particular, and I will say it because I believe it's the truth. The church jump on the bandwagon in a social societal way and stand with things the church has no right standing with, and I proclaim that right directly. Anti-Bible, anti-God, anti-everything that is gospel, holy, true, and righteous. Be careful that you're not distracted. And know as a Christian, you have to speak to every single thing the culture tells you you have to speak to. That's a lie. You speak the gospel, speak the truth, live it out. Don't be distracted by other things that will sidetrack you from the mission and will take your eyes off the soon return of Jesus Christ. Be careful. Don't be distracted. And you will be if you're deceived if you don't stay in the word. Stay in the word. Don't be deceived and don't be distracted. Don't get sucked into the culture and society and what they deem as necessary ideologies and purposes purposes at the expense of your anticipation of Christ's return. Please don't do it. Instead, this is what you do and we pray. Remember scripture. Recognize and refute scoffers and demonstrate the requirements in your lifestyle of anticipation of the Lord's return. I have nothing else to say. It's God's word. God, help us to anticipate His return and to herald the fact that Jesus is coming. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word this morning. It's a reminder. I pray that it would stir up. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just touch our hearts that we would not only be encouraged as as people of God, but I pray for those who are not following you, who scoff, who mock, who think this is all a joke. God, I pray for those who are not in relationship with you, that they would bend the, the, the knee of their heart to you. Surrender. Believe on you as Lord and Savior that you died for their sins and you rose from the dead. You ascended to the right hand of the Father and you are coming back again to take us to be with you in eternity forever and to establish your kingdom on this earth. Lord, I pray that we are ready and that we anticipate with joy. And Lord, that we are unashamedly proclaiming Jesus is coming. Help us as we rely on your spirit and cling to your word. In Jesus' name I pray and ask. To you be the glory. Amen. Amen.